Welcome to The Grange Point, where we hang out and talk about the latest news in science technology and how they relate to your everyday life. This podcast is brought to you by the Young Scientists of Australia. We're a youth organisation aged 15 to 25 whose work is to promote science to the youth of Australia. On this week's episode, we have Lauren. Hello. Lachlan. Hello. And Justin. And it's part one of the World Cup special where we celebrate and talk about all things scientific behind the World Cup. This week's in episode in part one, we'll be looking at the science behind mathematical paradoxes and World Cup teams, plus earworms and why they get stuck in your head. And now we launch into our Launchpad News segment. This week, we are having our city of science as, obviously, Rio de Janeiro in Brazil. And you'll be wondering why we're talking about Rio de Janeiro in Brazil. And if you are, you should stop living under a rock and pay attention to the world game in action, the most popular sport with billions of people across the planet tuning in to see their teams score not very many goals, get eliminated before um, they've even made it into the next round of the cup and go home in tears of shame. No, I'm not talking about Australia. I'm actually talking about England and Italy as well. Um, That is, of course, the World Cup. So if you're a scientist and are not following the World Cup, don't worry. We're actually going to be talking about the science behind the World Cup and all the exciting and fascinating things that go into making a World Cup happen from a scientific perspective, as well as some odd and in- interesting scientific paradoxes that are involved in the World Cup. You mean like the science behind match fixing? Well, yes. Also, the d- big data analytics of predicting results for the tournament winners and how all of that works. And also looking at some other amazing things such as ball technology, the odds of people having the same birthday by studying the World Cup squads, and a number of other interesting stories. So if you're not a big fan of football or the world game, don't worry, this is still going to be a very interesting and engaging episode of scientific content. But we will give you a sports warning, so just in case you need to put on your protective gear. Justin, when's your birthday? Uh, November 16th. Write that down, people at home. You can use that information against him. (laughs) Yes, against me. Have you ever come across someone else with the same birthday as you? Oddly enough, no, but I have come across people with birthdays two days before, two people with birthdays on two days after me, and one with a birthday three days after me. And these are mostly in my core group of friends. So it is a bit weird. We're all clustered. So if you use statistical analysis and average it out, then yes, you have. Yes, (laughs) yes. So it's a well-known mathematical paradox that if you have a group of 23 people, you're actually going to statistically get, it's more than half, it's more than 50% chance that you could actually find someone else with the same birthday as you. That's really weird. So you're telling me that if I have 23 people in a room, that the chance of having one of them have, two of them have the same birthday is actually basically coin toss. Mm-hmm. And if I have more than 23, then that obviously means even more chance. That's exactly what I'm saying. We're also saying you don't have enough friends. Oh, well... I have, like, kind of close. I have, like, 20 friends. I'm getting close to my birthday, but not exactly the birthday. <laughs> Clearly, I need to go out there and meet more people. Um, so what does this have to do with the World Cup? Why okay, so this is a cool mathematical little trick, but what, why, why are we caring about that in relation to the World Cup? Well, the World Cup, Cup's actually a really um, cool thing statistically because we have these groups of 23 people in a team from each country, which means we can use these statistics and this data to go and do a whole bunch of cool little mathematical things. For example, looking at the, stati- the statistics of people having the same birthday. Right, because it's actually really hard to find sample sets from the same group into the same time. 
of 23 people in nice little chunks and sizes because, you know, it's not really an even number that really props up a lot in many circumstances. But in World Cup squads, so not the team that plays on the ground, that's Mm -hmm. 11 people for those of you who aren't familiar with the rules of soccer, but 23 is the squad that they're allowed to enter into the tournament. So you have substitutes and people who can come on or be changed into the team. So that's really interesting. So they use these squad squad lists. What do they do with them? So when they actually analysed the birthdays of the 32 teams, what they found was 19 of those teams actually had more than one shared birthday. So that's nuts. So like in these teams, these 19 teams of World Cup players, two of them shared the same day for the birthday. So when you think about that objectively, the chances of there's 365 days in a year. And what they're saying is that, yeah, it's, it, intuitively it doesn't seem like something that really makes sense. Like, you don't expect it to happen. But what they've said in 19 of these cases, then you actually had that. So besides just looking at people born on the same day, they actually looked at to see if some months were actually more popular than others. What they found out was the first five months of the year were actually the most popular. They had the most shared birthdays. And there's actually only one day in January that doesn't have a shared birthday. That's that's pretty funny. So out of all these things that are actually we're talking about people having the same birthday, if you're on that one day, you would have been safe. Mm-hmm. That's, that's really funny. So where do they get the information for this from? Well, see, this is where um, things became a little tricky because at the time, the FIFA statistics weren't actually out. So the people who did this, um, who looked at these statistics, actually got them from Wikipedia. Ah, of course. The pinnacle of scientific research and study. After the actual FIFA statistics came out, they found out that they calculated this wrong. Because, you know, FIFA's, the Wikipedia birth dates for random soccer players weren't necessarily accurate. <laughs> That's true. So it turns out only 16 out of the 32 teams, which is about 50%, which is what they were kind of expecting for shared birthdays. Yeah, so when they did it originally, they found that it actually exceeded the expected average. But when they looked at it properly with the correct data, it became more realistic. Citation needed. Yeah, yeah, basically. Um, What I found really interesting is that you can actually analyse to see if there's any patterns behind the months people are born. Because according to this this research... um, soccer players are more likely to be born in the first half of the year. Mm. Now, does that mean people born in these months are stronger and hardier and more athletically competitive? Maybe they played more sport because they're in the right age bracket, so they're not too small or too young, but they're also not too old for their, for their team levels. That's what they think, is yeah. that because the age cutoff is normally the 1st of January, um, that means that people born in that bracket are more likely to be competitive and then do well at sport over their developmental years. And that, that's really fascinating. It sort of gets into the societal and the analysis of um, sporting and how you actually develop talented sports people, which is really fascinating and interesting. Related to, and come, we, we look at this from the, some interesting statistics around the actual World Cup teams themselves. So, if you know 23 friends, go and ask them your birthday. And if you do not have someone who matches up with you, know that you are 50% lucky. Now, if you do it with 46 people, you're getting close to guaranteed about having an overlap. But that requires you having 46 friends, which clearly I don't have. I barely have 23. So, that might be a harder thing for you to experiment with. So, get out there and start counting birthdays and enjoying some mathematical paradox. Cup of life, ole ole ole. So what I'm seeing there is the uh, the World Cup theme song from France 2000 by Ricky Martin. I'm showing my age here, guys, because I haven't actually paid attention to a World Cup theme song in quite some time. Why would you need to with that stellar example? <laughs> look, Ricky Martin was big at the time. He, look, I'm not mine. He's still big now. 
Okay, you cannot deny he is a very talented uh, singer. And he made a, um, um, a very popular song called Cup of Light. It was a great hit. It was much better than the current song by J-Lo and Pitbull, um, which is the current theme song for this year's World Cup. But songs have a, ten- a tendency to stick with you and get stuck in your head and eat away at your very brain and destroy it almost until you cannot help but sing it and get it out. And we call these things earworms. And they're a really insidious way that the brain remembers and records music and then brings it up to you when you least expect it. So, Lauren, what is actually going on here with um, earworms and music and why can I not get this song from 14 years ago out of my head? Sorry, mathematical correction on my own dates. 2002 was the France World Cup because... No, 1998 was the France World Cup because it has to be on a year that would be significantly long ago, um, 16 years ago. Yes, that's right. I have mathematically corrected myself mid-show. So, Lauren, what is actually going on here? And why are we getting these weird and odd and unusual songs stuck in our heads? Well, it's not just actually unusual songs. Earworms have been around for a while, and there's a specific group of people who take a lot of advantage of the presence of earworms. Really? And that would be people who work with ads. Damn those advertising executives! And that has to do with some of the properties of earworms. So earworms are just like small fragments of songs sometimes. They're just like ten seconds long. They get stuck in your head. They usually tend to be um, about three notes. That go for a long period of time and they're really easy to sing along in your head. And they really slightly differ in um, tone. Okay, so they, they use these factors to actually define for you basically custom songs and music that are ingrained to stick with you. Mm-hmm. Like if the roof is getting lost between the lichen and the moss and your mortar isn't where it ought to be. Are we allowed to advertise in this show? No, I'm not going to say the brand of what that actually was. I'm just saying words that have to do with roof and mortar. No problem. <laughs> and it's not used as an ad anymore, but I still remember it. And that's also because um, when ads and stuff come on, that's usually when you're paying the least attention because, you know, when ads come on, no one really cares. You're just waiting for your show to come back on. And it's that lack of real consciousness that also helps the earworm to stick in your ear. Right, so I'm not thinking about it. Mm-hmm. I'm actually more likely to pay attention to it because it sort of seeps into your brain via osmosis. Exactly. And just gets ingrained into your... It, it crawls music. in when you don't notice. So it's Yerk from Animorphs. This is really <laughs> alarming. So <laughs> what, what else do we know about earworms? So now that I have this ad stuck in my head, how do I get it out? Unfortunately, the only real way to get rid of an earworm is to concentrate really deeply on something. And that generally tends to get rid of this unconscious song playing in your head. Unfortunately, if it's something like the World Cup song, that's not really going to work because next time you don't, you're not consciously thinking of it, that theme song's likely to be played again and get stuck in your head again. So, so if I'm watching a major event like that that has a big theme song, I should really try and stay really focused on it so I'm not letting it into my background consciousness and then I'll be safe. But then they're just programming you to pay full attention to the advertisement. <laughs> then you can't win. <laughs> I'm not safe. What I find really fascinating about this is actually it's a really interesting area of psychological research. And um, a lot of people have been doing deep studies on this. So I know a lot of studies out of the UK. And I've been taken part in several University of Oxford studies on earworms. And then they're actually doing longitudinal studies where they talk to you on over periods of time and say, have you had music stuck in your head? What else have you found out? What kind of a person are you? Do you pay attention to a lot of specific details? When it gets stuck in your head, is it like two notes or is it like five minutes of music that gets stuck in your head? And when you sing it back, what does it sound like? And there's a lot of really interesting and in-depth research about 
trying to understand why it is that we retain it and what kind of people are more susceptible to earworms than other people. I find it really interesting how long they can survive for, how they burrow dormant deep in your brain for like 10 years and then you can hear a, a snatch of an ad again and it comes back straight away. And as I was saying before, it's not just music that actually can trigger this, it's also um, lyrical and rhythmic intonations of words. So um, for some people, it's, uh, as I was saying before with, the ad, with that ad that I was quoting, that that is a series of words as opposed to an actual song that I'm remembering that is ingrained in the same sort of way. Oh, that's like um, with most poetry and stuff like that. Like, There's a lot of historical evidence, like poetry, art, plays, all of that um, chanting, rituals, that's all tapping into the same area of the brain, isn't it? Yeah, that's right. And that's why oral history is such a powerful technology for memory, because you make it have a rhythm, you make it have something that's got this kind of pattern to it, and it means it's easier for you to remember. So the Iliad, which is one of the most classic, great works of classical literature, which is about the, the story of the... Battle of Troy, which we're all familiar with, and all the Greek heroes and the, the Trojan horse and all of that. That's one massive said poem that only got written down 800 years after it was really starting to be told. And it's, it's like 20,000 words, but memorised, because, because it was said in a certain pentameter that meant that it was actually pick-upable, that you could have it stuck in your head. See, I find a combination of nine words more powerful, Justin. Mm-hmm. Interior, crocodile, alligator, I drive a Chevrolet movie theatre... That's that's just very alarming. I listen to that in my head for days on end, and I don't know why. <laughs> that's, 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 that's very interesting. Um, I mean, it also works when you have certain phrases which can also be a trigger to other people, so you may not be thinking consciously about it, but if someone says, all right, stop, collaborate, and listen... Ice is back with a brand new invention. Something grabs a hold of me tightly, flows like a harper and daily and nightly. Will it ever stop? No. Let it go. No, close. No. no, yo, I don't know. Uh, but that's an example of, it's a popular song that actually has that kind of rhythmic in it, rhythmic phrasing in it, and also kind of almost call and response, and that just gets ingrained into your head. And you may not remember the entire lyrics to it, but if you put you with another person together and one of you starts saying it, you basically carry your way through the song until you have 80% of it done. And that is, shows the power, again, of human memory to actually store really weird and obscure things in there that lie dormant that you bring out later. Like the nutbush? Like the nutbush, or the macarena, or very other dances or other cultural things. So it's not just songs that are used for adverts, it's also dance and spoken word and poetry. And we not just use it for telling, um, selling products, but we also use it for telling stories, carrying histories, and preserving our cultures. And we've done it for hundreds of thousands of years. This has been the Young Scientists of Australia's podcast, The Grange Point. This week in part one of our World Cup special, we talked about why it's mathematically paradoxical for World Cup teams to have people of the same birthday. And we also talked about the science and psychology behind getting themes and ads stuck in your head with earworms. Tune in next week for part two of the World Cup special. Our ending theme was composed by Audio and Head to ysa.org.au for more information about the Young Scientists of Australia.